some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to another day of Barroom Network Broadcasting. This is the first of four shows today. And if you are not a subscriber to our YouTube channel, please do so. All you need is a Google account. Hit the subscribe button and you will get alerts on your device letting you know when we are live. And we are live right now with Mr. Greg Gabriel. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm wonderful. How about you? Good. I'm well. Uh, did you get a workout in this morning? Absolutely. <laughs> What'd you do today? Like uh, 350 pound squats and stuff like that? <laughs> no, I did. I did legs and chest. So I did. I didn't do bench presses. I did um, chest presses. So you're sitting down versus laying down. Okay. okay. Uh, did inclines. Did flies. Did uh, leg presses, leg curls. Jeez. Worked wow. on my calves. I do like total of like 33, 34 sets. I, I'm feeling so tired right now. <laughs> Just hearing you go through all that. <laughs> I'm fatigued. And, and do you do aerobic uh, type exercises throughout the week? Or no, you, I, you know, I, I don't do, I used to do aerobic every day and I haven't since I got that, you know, lung infection. Right. I, you know, I mean, I, a couple times a week and when the weather's good, and my wife's off and she's off all next week. We'll go for a bike ride every day. Usually go for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, and I got, I got some stuff in the basement that I use. I got an elliptical and a bike, but, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't do anywhere near what I used to do. And it's mainly because of that bacterial infection that I have. So mm. not fun, is it? No, just you know when you when you get into aerobic activity, and when I lift, I try to do anaerobic type stuff. I'm only going like thirty five to forty seconds in between sets. Mm -hmm. So you know you're you're constantly getting your heart rate up and keeping it up. And then you know my whole workout might only last forty five minutes then. Mm, okay. Did you, uh, do you have a trainer? You do this, all this on your own. I'm, I'm assuming it's all on your own, right? Oh, on my own. That's, that's what my degree's in. So I, uh, I think I, I think I know how to do it. I, I would agree with that. <laughs> all right. Uh, OTAs have uh, uh, commenced over at Hallis Hall. Some of uh, the Bears players and uh, head coach uh, uh, Matt Hubelfus met with the media yesterday. So we got some good things to react to. Um Greg, overall, uh, I, I wanted to get your uh, picture of what is happening with these early OTAs. Uh, Ibraflus has said that they're basically kind of looking at conditioning, uh, but can you kind of fill in the blanks uh, there with maybe what they are doing with these young players who are at this, these uh, OTAs? Well, o OTAs and mini camps are really the exact same thing okay. as far as the, the practice routine. Uh, now, today, there's not an OTA, but it's an off-season program day. Mm -hmm. So they'll be lifting, they'll be meetings, and they can go out in the field and do instructional, but you can't go offense versus defense. So mm -hmm. the offense on one side of the field, defense on the other side of the field, and you, you, know, you can work on stuff, but you can't go against people. Where in OTAs and minicamp, you can have seven on seven, one on one. You can have 12 or 11 on 11, you know, all that stuff. So 
but what you're doing is they're installing the offense, installing the defense, and finding out who is picking up things quickly, who makes too many mental mistakes. Um, it, it's tough to grade offensive and defensive linemen in that environment because there's no contact, mm-hmm. but you can grade them as far as knowing the assignment. Are they going to the right person, especially because it's an outside zone scheme? Are they going in the right direction, going towards hitting the right person? And you can make initial contact. You just can't have real, real contact. You can just touch the guy, so to speak. Right. Uh, but I, I will say now the, the league or the, or the union can get fired up about this, but when you get into the one-on-ones and the seven-on-sevens, mm-hmm. they can get a little physical at times. But you know, you, you have to take this stuff and turn it into the league. And if the and if the league looks at it or the union looks at it and they say, uh, eh, "Wait a minute, you're breaking some rules here," they can dock you a, a day or two of OTAs or or whatever, or fine you. So wow. you got to be careful on how you do things. So that would that be like a, a player for a, a union player sending tape to uh, the uh, players association saying, "Hey, what's going on here? I think we're being overworked." Or how how would that process be? No, the 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 team automatically has to send it in. Oh, I see. Oh my goodness, <laughs> can't get away with anything nowadays. Right? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, everybody is taking a look at is the progress of uh, Justin Fields. And I got a good question here from uh, Brent Murphy. He, w- he even posted before the show started. Uh, actually, no, that's not the one. This is from uh, Sanjin. He asked, what would Fields' uh, improvement look like to you in 2022? So he wants to... Uh, get kind of a, perhaps a metric or some sense as to how is uh, w- w- what would you say? Okay, he's improving. I, I don't know if you can come up with a a quote metric. It's number one from the coach's point of view. It's how quickly is he picking up the offense mm-hmm. so that he can get in the huddle, give out a play. You know, it, it's different terminology, different play calls. So that part's difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and except for the guys that came over from Green Bay, and there's only two of them, uh, you know, all the all this stuff is going to be brand new to them. Mm-hmm. So that part, it's not only Justin Fields, it's just about everybody on the team. And the same thing on, on the defensive side of the ball, which is going to be more, you know, geared to w- what they were doing in Indianapolis the last four years. So Getting accustomed to that, uh, obviously, you're you're trying to figure out, you know, who can play. But with Justin Fields, like I say, it, it's how quickly is he picking up things? And then when you get into seven on seven, even some 11 on 11, is he making the right reads? Is he getting the ball out of his hand quickly? Is he thrown with accuracy? Those types of things. Now, there's been a couple quick five, six, seven second shots that came over on Twitter yesterday. And, you know, they're from a distance, so it's hard to tell. But it does look like, and also from from watching his uh, workout sessions down in Georgia early in the year, right. he has tightened up his delivery. Not exactly where I want it yet, 
mm-hmm. but I'm picky, but it, it's not as pronounced that dropping of the ball and, you know, that hitch, yeah. for lack of a better word, at the top of his delivery. That has, a lot of that has gone away. There's still a little bit there, but he's getting, you know, the motion itself is a lot more fluid and it's coming out of his, his hand quicker. Do you think that that can ever be totally corrected or is sometimes with certain players that's so ingrained a muscle memory kind of thing uh, that you, you just sort of kind of live with it? No, it, it can be improved, but it's not something that happens overnight because, yeah, there is muscle memory. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you know, you can work on things and then you get in the heat of the game and you automatically re- revert back. Mm-hmm. So it, it's constant repetition in practice. And when he's working on his own, of making sure he's, he's doing it the correct way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you mentioned uh, two members of the Packers. One of them met with the media yesterday, offensive lineman, his center, uh, uh, Lucas Patrick, and he was asked to evaluate Justin Fields, and he shared this. <laughs> Fast. Yeah, he, uh, he, he can get moving pretty quick. Um, no, he's a fun guy. Um, you know, he's young, so he likes to have the juice and the energy, and he's got a live arm. I mean, uh, there were a few throws he made today where that ball just, you know, it's 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 like it keeps getting faster in the air. Um, and he's, he's soaking everything up, like uh, whether it's coaches, me, or, you know, stuff he's telling me. I mean, um, it's it's really good. I mean, he's... Couldn't couldn't have a better start to a working relationship. It sounds like it's is he almost beyond your expectations of what you thought out of him in terms of his arm and the things you were just. I mean, I have pretty high expectations. You don't get drafted as high as he does, you know, in the National Football League just for, you know, kind of having a wet noodle or you know slow feet. Like he's he's really talented. I thought he was going to be really good, and he's exceeding my expectations. How important is it for that center and quarterback to have a relationship of mutual trust and uh, and respect for one another? Well, that, that's very important, but the the center position itself does not get the praise that it deserves. Mm-hmm. That guy's the glue of the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the most important guy is the quarterback, so that's Justin Fields, but He's the leader of the offensive line. In most cases, he's making all the line calls. So I, he he knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right now he is the veteran. And mm-hmm. he, he's only been in the league. You know, this is his fifth year in the league, yet, you know, he, he he's the veteran offensive lineman. He started a lot of games. Last two years he started all but two or three games in Green Bay. And he's been a solid player. So he, he's already – earned his spurs so now it, it it's because he's familiar with the terminology of the offense now the playbook might not be the exact same thing because they're gonna you know they'll adjust plays to you know fit the the skill set of the players but the terminology the basic terminology of the scheme is the exact same thing as he's been playing with you know the last four years up in green bay mm-hmm let me get uh, another question. This is the one that I was referring to earlier. Early. I don't want to forget it. <clears throat> I came in uh, several minutes before we actually came in at 3.08 a.m. Wow, this guy was ready to go. He's talking about standing in line to get a ticket. <laughs> uh, Brent says, hey, if you guys get a chance, could you touch on Charles Snowden and how he might fit 
this scheme at defensive end and if you think he could make the roster. Thanks, you all are my favorite Bear show. It was excellent. Thank you, Brent. Uh, so uh, what do you recall of Snowden, who was, I believe, an undrafted free agent last season, uh, came in with uh, quite the pedigree as a pass rusher, but maybe not having a catalog of moves that he had to work on. Uh, what can you add to that? Well, he, he didn't get drafted because, really, he, he missed the last part of his, his final season at Virginia. He was not ready to you know go through a full workout during the pro day. So there was questions about that. And so that's why he ends up getting undrafted. He's really, you know, he's a tall, lean guy, very, very long. He's got pretty good strength, but he's going to have to get bigger to play within this scheme because now he's not going to be on his feet. Now, now edge players are edge players. Mm-hmm. And, and in the National Football League now, you know, you're, you're playing at least 80% of the time you're in your sub defense where that outside linebacker isn't an outside linebacker. He's a defensive end up on the line of scrimmage and he's going to rush. Difference is, is he going to rush from a two point stance or a three point stance? And a lot of times in the previous defense, these guys would rush from a two point stance. I can't tell you what Coach Flus wants these guys to do because we haven't seen it. You know, we're not going to find that out until training camp, and training camp's only going to have a few practices open. It's not like it used to be down to Bourbon A, you know, and, and and when they are open, there's going to be, you know, limited capacity as to how many fans can go in there. Right. But so reality is you'll find out in in training camp. Is he can he make the team? I I, I think when you look at the roster the way it is now, and they'll probably keep four edge players. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he's got a rough hill to climb. He's got the talent to do it. There's no question. But, you know, they they brought in uh, Mohammed from um, uh, from the Colts. Right. You got Gibson. You got Quinn. So and, and then you got um, what was the guy's name we picked up last year? The uh, Caleb. No, that, there's one other vet from last year and he got hurt. And and then there's Snowden. So Snowden's like, you know, fifth or sixth on the depth chart, and he's got to show good. But I, you know, if that weight at two forty five is is accurate, it probably isn't. You know, he's got to get bigger and stronger to be able to play the run in a four man front. A toe shoe. Thank you, Big Trouble yes. Jack uh, and Jordan and everyone else who chimed in with uh, a toe shoe. Um, all right. I don't have the roster in front of me. That's why I, I just couldn't have a I yeah. didn't remember the name of it. And I have the roster in front of me, and yet I still screwed it up. <laughs> so uh, um, another question here from Danger T says, uh, Greg, good question. I was watching a Carson Palmer documentary. What happened with uh, Carson Palmer on draft day? He said he wanted the Chicago Bears to draft him. Were you a part of uh, that draft uh, with, with the Bears organization? Uh, yeah, but Carson Palmer went first. So that wasn't going to happen. It was all over. <laughs> was there any talk about uh, possibly trading up uh, and exploring a uh, trade? No, no. That's the, that's the year we took Rex. Okay. okay. And, and and Rex was the fourth quarterback off the board. Mm-hmm. We took um, we took Hayes, Michael Haynes, at thirteen or fourteen, and then we took Rex at twenty or twenty one. Um, 
you know, there was, there was no way we, we wanted the two ones. We weren't going to try to get to number one. And Cincinnati wasn't about to trade number one. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, it became a moot point. What happened with Haynes? Because uh, when he was drafted, I believe he was, he went to Penn State, right? Right. And he was and he was MVP at the the Senior Bowl. I'll tell you exactly what happened. And his his agent wouldn't be pissed off at me for saying this. He has no football character. Mm. Nice guy, great guy. Mm. He didn't love. He doesn't love football. And you know, it, it costs the scout his job here mm. wow. because you know that's that's one thing we put on the scouts is, you know, they better get that part right. Mm-hmm. You can miss – here's what we told them, and I, I've said this before. You can miss on the evaluation mm-hmm. because there's other people to, to back you up and, and, and look at it. We, we, you know, we're getting at least at half a dozen reports. Mm-hmm. You can't – you're the guy going into the school. And, and Penn State, in fairness, Penn State's a tough place to get accurate information – was when Joe Paterno was there. Mm-hmm. A very tough place to get accurate information, but reality is, is that you know he liked the game, he didn't love the game, he liked the money, he didn't like, you know, he wasn't a bad person. He's a good person, but he shouldn't have been playing football. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and that's what happened. That's how guys guys fail. Guys that lack football character. And we go back to Justin Fields. And, and uh, another perfect example, Josh Allen. Josh Allen, a lot of criticism from, from fans when, when Buffalo took Josh Allen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because he, he was a sub-60% thrower at, at, at Wyoming. And when he played against good teams like Iowa, he looked awful. Um, so they're saying, you know, what are you doing? But <laughs> – Josh Allen's football character is way – it's off the charts. Mm-hmm. And he would do everything he possibly could to get better. Mm. And as you've seen, he's gotten better every year. Now he's probably one of the top two or three quarterbacks in all of football. Um, I can see Justin Fields being similar as far as football character. You know, he, he works at it. He wants to be a great player. Mm-hmm. He's got the tools to be a great player. Now he's got to put it all together. Well, that is <laughs> music to our ears. Uh, absolutely. He still has to prove it on the football field, but, boy, uh, so many indications that he could be one of the really good ones, maybe a great one in this league. So that is cool. Um, in yesterday's press conference, there was a, a really fascinating segment when Jalen Johnson was uh, talking about his play, talking about the rookies. In fact, let's listen to that one first. This is JJ and the two rookie defensive backs uh, that were drafted in round two. I definitely know they can make plays on the ball. Um, I've seen Kyler do it um, in college and now kind of watching the film um, from minicam, watching the film in the last couple of days. In OTAs, he's made some plays um, as well as the – Safety as well. I mean, they rake out the ball. They are ball hawks. They're ball hungry. So, I mean, that's definitely a good thing, knowing that they're aggressive towards the ball. You produced right away as a rookie in here. What do they need to do to come in here and be able to do that, too, in terms of, like, right from day one? I have a short memory. Um, I feel like that's big for corner, but especially as a rookie corner. Um, I mean, you're going to mess up. You're going to have balls caught on. You're going to be in uncomfortable situations. Um, but really just keep moving forward. Keep refreshing your mind each and every day you come in and just keep getting trying to get better. 
Team used its two top draft picks on defensive backs. As someone who also plays in the secondary, how did that make you feel? Excited. Um, just to have some high-level guys come in and be able to contribute. Um, I mean, we had a lot of people leave our secondary, so I mean, we definitely needed some replacements, um, and I feel like that's what they did. So, I mean, definitely helped the team out a lot. You left out the best part. Which one was that? Well, then they somebody asked a question like, well, do you think they should be like, you know, basically thrown to the wolves? And he said, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is true. Do you yeah, that is, yeah, put them there. Find out if they can play. Yeah. And, and you agree with that? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, no, you, I, I'll agree to it to the point where you, you, if, if they're making too many mental mistakes. Mm-hmm. Physically, you know they can play physically. They've already proved they can play physically. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's the mental part of the game. And, again, it's knowing the terminology and they disguise defenses and knowing how to do that accuracy. You, you make a mental mistake in the secondary, it's usually a touchdown. Mm-hmm. You know, so assuming they can, you know, pick up on the mental part of the game, yeah, get them in there and play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be an interesting thing to keep an eye on the chemistry with Jalen Johnson and those two rookies, because those two guys have come in and immediately expressed that they want to be leaders. And uh, uh, Matt Eberflus was effusive in his praise of Kyler Gordon uh, yesterday, and this was on a question about Jalen Johnson. So it almost seemed to me, maybe I was reading too much into it, that Eberflus was saying you know, you got to pick up your game here, uh, uh, Jalen, because this other kid that we just drafted, we are in love with him. Do you think that could be a tactical uh, maneuver by Eberflus to cover up his veteran? No, I, 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 I think he said, you know, that, that Jalen's got a lot to learn. And, and part of it, the lot to learn is learning the defense, just like everybody else has got to learn. True. You know, they played in, in an entirely different scheme last year. And so now it, it's learning to play within this game where the they disguise the coverages a lot more. And, you know, from what, what Ballard has told me, like I, I'm very familiar with this defense, having, you know, having worked with it, you know, with Lovey for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But from what I've been told from people in Indianapolis is that if you wanted to put a 101, 202, 303, uh-huh. Lovey's was one on one, and this one's three oh three or four oh four. You know, he's a lot. He's got a lot more complexities to it than Lovey ever had. Even though the base scheme is the exact same thing, and that's not knocking Lovey in any way at all. It's just that that Flus has has taken this scheme to a different level. Yeah, back when uh, Lovey was head coach of the the Bears, what would you guesstimate the 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 split on playing a uh, good old-fashioned cover two, uh, and the uh, nickel defense, because now it's like 80-20 nickel, uh, uh, and, and so I, I would imagine it's almost reverse now. Well, first of all, the the base cover two, mm-hmm. that's just the name, because they don't play that much cover. Uh, yeah, they play some cover two, mm-hmm. but if you got guys that can play press, and they're real good at press, and we had two guys that could play press in, in Tillman and, and Nate Basher, then you don't have to, you know, you're playing zone because you can't play press. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 
So if, if you can do that, then you're you're going to play man or off man a lot more. Now, off man's harder to play than press because, you got, you know, it's like a half zone, half press man and that you got you're not lining head up on, on the player. And so you're not jamming him and you've got to have your, your instincts and anticipation mm-hmm. on what that guy's going to do because you're not lined up in his face. It's got to be very, very good. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, and uh, Jalen was uh, was asked by a reporter uh, about taking risks. And uh, I think the question's loaded here and his response. At times to me, it seems like you were a little bit hesitant to kind of pull the trigger and take some risks, like maybe not wanting to make mistakes deep. Do you think that new confidence will allow you to kind of pull the trigger or maybe even having the ball in front of you? You think that'll allow you to kind of take some risks where maybe it was like, no, nah, I don't want to get beat. I ain't going to make that jump. Um, I feel like my role last year following number one wide receiver, I feel like there's not too many risks you can take. Um, so, I mean, I feel like depending on what my role is moving forward, depending on the flow of the game, what I'm being called to do, I feel like calls for different different techniques and different, like you said, risks you can take. But I definitely don't think that there was too many more risks that I can take last year, always having that prime matchup. What do you make of that? Well, you know, I watched that interview an hour and a half ago. And, you know, it was only like eight, nine minutes long. So you're not going to get a whole lot. But I, I think there's questions he didn't like. Like, you know, that reporters were, were asking about them, you know, basically sucking last year, being at the bottom. And he took, I think he took exception to it. Yeah, I agree. And, and so, but at the same time, he wanted to be polite. Mm-hmm. And answer the questions, and so you know, I I, I kind of you know give him a pat on the back for the the composure. Mm-hmm. He could have said "screw you," you know, and, and and he didn't. And I didn't personally. I didn't like some of the questions. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's you had a different coaching staff coaching an entirely different scheme. Now that was last year. This mm-hmm. is this year. He can't do anything about last year. Mm-hmm. And and so let's move forward. Mm-hmm. And he did talk about the, the Eberflus, uh defense and how much he likes the fact that he's going to be looking at the quarterback more uh, in, in this scheme. And so that might allow him for to take more chances. And we'll see if he can uh, deliver some more turnovers than he has in his first two years in the league. Well, that, that's where anticipation and instincts come into play. Mm-hmm. And, and part of that is experience. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's, the first thing he's got to do is, is learn the scheme. And mm-hmm. once he gets comfortable in the scheme, then, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see him taking a lot of chances early on. Now, early on could be training camp in, in the preseason. And by then he could feel you know, pretty comfortable within the scheme. So, uh, and, and that's the same with everybody back there, mm-hmm. you know, so it, it, it's, um, you know, what do they want? More turnovers? More? Sure. I mean, he, I'm sure he does too. Mm-hmm. And he's, a, and, and, and he's a competitor. There's one thing you could, you can say about Jalen Johnson when you're watching, he might get beat sometimes, but, and the one thing he said just to back up, what's the most important thing you can tell these 
young guys that have a short memory, and he has a short memory. Yeah. You so. get beat, you got to throw it out of your mind and, and on to the next play. Because when you dwell on it, you're going to get beat again. You like Jalen Johnson uh, a, a lot, don't you? You like his talent and, and you like his the way he comport, comports himself. Yeah, and I think this this scheme will, will do him well. Mm-hmm. You know, he'll, he'll play well with it. Really, him and, and the new guy, they're, they're both about the, the same size. You know, 5'11 and a half, six feet. They got length to them. You know, they're, they're fast. They, they're really, really athletic. They're explosive. You know, it gives you two good-sized corners uh, on the football field, and, and, and that's got to help. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm reading some of the comments here. There's a, there's a brawl going on in the stands, <laughs> Greg, between the Don Bird, the Detroit Lions fan who, who likes to come in and troll, and uh, several of the other people, including Jordan. So we might have to set up a grudge match between those guys. Um, all right, back to uh, our Chicago Bears. Um, I was looking at some of the numbers for Cole Komet uh, last season. I, I, I failed to put them into graphic form, but in terms of his receptions, uh, he was probably around 15th among all tight ends uh, last season. And unfortunately, he had zero uh, touchdown catches. What kind of an improvement are, uh, do you want to expect to see out of Cole Komet uh, this season? Well, you know, we spent the better part of a show on this one yes. not, too, not too long ago. And I, I, I think with the fans, what the fans want him to be and what he is are two different things. Uh-huh. Cole Komet is a pure Y who you can flex out as a move guy, but that's not his game. Mm-hmm. His game is a Y. So – you know, he had 60 receptions next year. Maybe he'll have 70 this year. But don't confuse him with Kelsey or some of these other guys that are move tight ends, and you can call him F, you can call him U, you can call him H. You know, depends on the offense, what, what, what the terminology is. But that's not what he is. Mm-hmm. And so you got to accept what he is. And um, – Hey, the offense as a whole sucked last year. Yes, you know, we, we, we know that. So, you know, was that his fault? Mm-hmm. No. He's, and, he, and like I said, he still caught. When, when you look at, at his numbers as compared to other guys at his position, he's right up, you know, the, the arrow keeps going up. He's right there. Mm-hmm. I got no problem. I, I don't know why people got problems with this guy. The guy's a hell of a tight end. And this team wants to run the ball. And if you want to run the ball, you better have a why. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're wasting a receiver because you're putting another tackle in there. And this negates that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, and, and totally. And I think that, you know, we can – probably list another half dozen to a dozen reasons as to why the receiving uh, uh, production wasn't, you know, uh, uh, more than what it was last season. 
What's and wrong with 60 for a second-year tight end? Yeah, exactly. A 22-year-old uh, tight end who, right. who was needed uh, in the blocking scheme on so many plays. I mean, with that offensive line being what it is, he needed to chip. He needed to stay back and, and do a lot of blocking uh, for his quarterback. And on top of that, they wanted to keep bringing in Jimmy Graham to be the, the go-to guy on a lot of things, and, mm-hmm. and the game had passed him by. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, Pompous, Pompous Pilot says, Komet was a bright spot. Nagy ruined everything. How much of uh, the uh, growth or lack of growth among some players do you attribute to Matt Nagy's coaching? I think that remains to be seen. Okay. We, we got to see what they're going to do within this scheme. Mm-hmm. And I want to get on to a, one other subject because I know, you, you know, what. and when we were texting back and forth, you were talking about you want to talk about some of the new players. And they signed a tackle yesterday, Sean Coleman, who I'll talk about in a minute. But, you know, there, there's a lot of fans that want either Dwayne Brown or, or Eric Fisher. Right. It ain't happening. Okay. Okay. First of all, with Fisher – Fisher's played in two places in the last, you know, his career. He played in Kansas City. Who was there? Poles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Kansas City decided not to bring him back after, after he tore his Achilles. And he and, – and why did they choose that? Because his game was going south. Okay. He wasn't the player that he was. The Colts lost their uh, – left tackle Costanza, they, they were in a bind mm-hmm. and they were hoping to get, you know, something out of them. Chris knew him when he was a good player, having been at Kansas city and brought him, you know, brought him in coming off the Achilles. Now Achilles is not as serious now as it was eight, 10 years ago because the surgical techniques have changed. Mm-hmm. I only know that because I tore mine three years ago. <laughs> so I did a lot of research. And, you know, the, the, the recovery time isn't long. You can get back on the field. It's still a long time, but you're back up to, to 100% a lot quicker than you were eight, nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and that surgical technique they have was just started nine years ago and has become mainstream for that injury in the last four to five years. But, you know, Fisher plays for the Colts. He didn't play good. The Colts try to bring him back? Nope. (laughs) So now, and who is there? Flues. So why in God's name would they even think about it? Now, could it happen? Sure, anything can happen. But... You know, when you think that he's, he, he, I got my eyes itch. Uh, Allergy time. Tell me. Yeah, I know. Um, It's been a bad out there. The, you know, when he's failed in two spots and the two main decision makers within the organization came from those two spots, tell me why you'd even think about it. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, And with Dwayne Brown, not a bad player. He's going to be 37 years old during training camp. You know, in the middle of training camp, he turns 37. Does that sound like something that Ryan Poles would do? Looking at everything he's done? No, that's that. He, he wants to find out who can play with these young guys. All right. 
And so that's what they're going to go with. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's going to be quite the battle. Uh, right guard, left tackle are, are the two positions I think that are up for grabs. Uh, and they've got a lot of evaluation to do uh, among all the players. And I know the players are playing different positions, so they can get a good sense as to who's picking things up quickly. Uh, and then we'll well, you know, the big test, of course, is when they're in pads. So uh, that's right. to come. absolutely. But I, I just. Yeah, it could happen. I don't see it happening, which brings me back to Coleman. I mean, Coleman they got for a, 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 at the veteran minimum. Mm-hmm. You know, I went back and, and he came out 2016. I had him as the 11th rated tackle in that draft. Thought he'd go in the third or fourth. I think he went in the third to Cleveland. Okay. Um, sat as a rookie like many rookie offensive linemen do. Started every game the next year. They weren't totally satisfied, but they did. He got traded to mm-hmm. San Francisco, and then he got hurt, and mm-hmm. so he missed the better part of two years because of the injury. Then he get comes back in 2020, and COVID hits, and he opts out. But see, if anybody had a legitimate excuse for opting out. It was this guy. This guy went through leukemia in college. Mm, wow. M- missed two years of play because of leukemia uh, when he was a freshman and sophomore at Auburn. Now, his last two years, he ended up being a five-year guy because of that. His last two years, he was a pretty damn good football player. Mm-hmm. Played, started at left tackle the last two years. Now, I, didn't, I saw him more as a right tackle. He's playing on the left side, but more of a right tackle – in our league. And, and like you say, he started at right tackle for Cleveland every game in the, uh, his second year. So I think that was 2017, but you know, basically what I think, uh, he, he's, he's a camp body right now until he proves otherwise. Right. Right. He, he, he's a camp body. Hmm. Well, we sh- wish him luck. He's come through, uh, he's gone through a lot. And speaking of going through a lot, the awful video uh, of Tariq Cohen uh, popping his Achilles heel. Um, what do you think about, you know, I, he, he wrote a, a, a moving article about the tribulations he's faced in his personal life. Um, what do you think about this whole thing with Tariq? You know, lots oh, of just, just, just awful for him because, and, and I think, the whole purpose of putting that out on Instagram live was, Hey, I'm ready. Sign me. Yeah. And then boom, just like that off, just an awful thing. When I saw it too, I I looked at it and I said, I played it back Mm -hmm. because I thought, did he turn his ankle? Because I wasn't watching real close. You know, he's, he's doing the thing through the, um, not really bags, but those, uh, yeah. Right. Like I couldn't figure out the name of those things. And, uh, he, he, he is almost like a defensive back type drill that he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then he plants plants with his right foot and to go straight forward. And he goes down right away. When I saw what, when I watched it the second time, I knew exactly what happened. He grabbed the, the, uh, the back of his heel and just the way he went down. I said, I'd been there. I know what happened. I, you know, I know what it feels like. And, I tweeted it out. I said, I hope it's not an Achilles, but it sure as hell looks like an Achilles. Mm-hmm. That sound, Greg. I mean, did you have, did you hear? What yeah, you- I, I, I 
did after somebody said you could hear it pop. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if that was just happenstance or that was really it. Mm-hmm. I know when I did it, I didn't hear a damn thing. All I know is I tore it. I mean, right away I knew I tore it. Mm-hmm. And there's a knock at the door. My dog's going crazy, and I got and I'm sitting where I'm sitting now. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I um, pop up out of the chair to to run over to the door to answer it to get the dog to shut up, and it popped halfway there. Wow. And so, and it hurt, but in reality, it, the, the hurt was no more than three or four seconds mm-hmm. because then it just started to swell up, and there was it was numb. Mm. But I, I knew what it was. A guy, you know, there's a guy at the door and he goes, and I'm like, got this distress looked in my face and he goes, well, what's wrong with you? And I go, I just tore my Achilles. Oh. I knew exactly what it was. Wow. That is awful. Yeah. And an awful, awful noise. I've heard it before yeah. uh, when it happened to a, an athlete who was uh, uh, on the football field, I was watching the game and I heard that sound. And, and yesterday when I heard it in that Tariq video, I said, man, it sounds like the Achilles. So uh, I want to get a few more questions out of here. CJ Williams asked about G say Treader. I don't think this is an option, right? He's a center. Uh, he's still out there as a free agent. I don't think he's, he's a center only. And, and they've already made that decision for Lucas Patrick to be the center. Yeah. So you're not going to go midstream and put mm-hmm. him at guard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, of- and so and, and you know, again, could it happen? Sure, it could happen, but I I just don't see it happening. Again, when you look at what he's trying to do, he's not trying to bring in a lot of age. This guy's already played in the league nine years. Yep, exactly. Um, Tony, the pod boss, says, uh, "Are fans counting Sam Mustafer out to start at guard, or is he a career backup? And and can he only play center?" Well. He's only played center. I mean, he's practiced at guard. Mm-hmm. He's practiced at guard here. He practiced at guard at Notre Dame. In games, all he's played, as far as I know, is just center. I don't think he played guard in the preseason. Uh, he's not a bad center. I, you know, I, I, I think when you get through this offseason, and Sam got too heavy. And he didn't get too heavy because he wanted to get too heavy. He got too heavy because that's what Juan Castillo wanted. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think if you get him down to where he was in college, mm-hmm. which is around 310 to 315 versus he was over 330 last year, you're going to see him move a lot better. Is he the answer? No. I, you know, I don't know who the right guard is going to be. I don't think they know who the right guard is is going to be you know it 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 could be the rookie from san diego state it could be borum and and i say that is because brooks the tackle they drafted from southern utah he's a pretty good player you know why he lasted as long as he did is kind of beyond me Mm -hmm. um very very athletic guy and I, I saw something this morning where the um, uh, offensive line coach said he's a natural pass protector. Mm. So right away, that caught my eye that he says that, and he's been in two OTAs wow. and a rookie minicamp. So, um, you know, 
Borum, people say, well, is Borum a, a fit to this scheme? Well, Borum got, and I think we talked about this the last show we had too. Borum was about 350 as last year at Missouri, maybe 355. He was too heavy. Right. Dropped down to 322 for his pro day and moved pretty damn good. And I've seen videos of that pro day. Mm-hmm. And then when he gets here, Juan said, you're too skinny. And then he gets back up to 335. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get him in the in the three teens, mm-hmm. it's a different guy. Yeah. Yeah. And remember what I said, you know, because I, I know this weight program. And Jimmy Arthur runs it. Jimmy was the assistant when, when Rusty was here. It 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 deals with body fat and muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So it's not just getting your weight down. Okay. It's having the right percentage of body fat. And for offensive linemen. You know, they want them 20, 22, 23%, not any more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you and weight, if you're within the, the, the parameters of the body fat, you can actually be, quote, overweight because your body fat is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so like if he has, an, let's say, I'll, I'll make it up the number here, he has an assigned weight of 318 pounds and 21.5% body fat. And he comes in at 19% body fat and 322 pounds. He's not overweight. He's fine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because his percentage of body fat is actually less than what the parameters say he has to be. Mm. Um, I want to get back to a couple of more questions. And by the way, uh, but staying on that topic for a second, just a follow-up question. So one of the reasons that I like Sam Mustafer so much is because he is so doggone smart. Yep. Uh, and so that allows you to play, to overcome some of the physical deficiencies that he might possess. How much weight do you put on a player's intelligence uh, in the overall evaluation of whether a guy can be a starter or, or, or a good backup? Well, the intelligence factor, especially for the center, is is up here. And that's what he mainly is. Now, I look at it this way, too, is that if you're going to – he's going to be on the roster. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see the rookie from, from Illinois being on the, on the 53 this year. I see him as a practice squad guy. Mm-hmm. Just from what I saw on tape of him in Illinois. Um but Mustafer, but this is fourth year. He's going into his fourth year now in the league. 25 years old, yeah. Right. And he started for the last two years, so he's got a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. You go into Sunday, the rule of thumb, now they're moving it up to eight offensive linemen, but it used to be seven offensive linemen plus your deep snapper would dress on Sundays. Mm-hmm. So that means your two backups had to be able to play more than one position. One guy had to be able to play center and guard. Your tackles had to be able to play both sides, right and left tackle. And, you know, hopefully your backup guard, not only was was he a a backup center, but a a backup tackle just in case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you've got to have that versatility. So I think part of this offseason is finding out 
if Sam Sam Mustafer could play guard, so that he is a guy that you could rely on during the season as one of your your backups because you'll have that versatility of being able to go in as a guard or a center if somebody goes down. Adapta says Mustafer's brain still can't figure out how to move a nose tackle off the ball in short yardage situations. So it's the uh, typical, and I hate to phrase it this way, Adeptus, but it's a common criticism of Sam Mustafer is that he just doesn't have the physicality to move some of these bull rushers and, and some of these more stout defensive linemen. Well, you don't necessarily have to move them, but you want to be able to turn them. Yeah, okay. Okay, so if you can go like this and and just to create something, you know, there, there's and I go back because Olin and I have, have talked about Mustafer. Olin thinks Mustafer is a pretty good player. Yeah. Okay, and and Olin's one of the best centers of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to go with with what he says versus what did he play great last year? No, but again, I say I thought he looked better the year before. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it was they got him too damn heavy. And he and, and then you lose mobility. Yep. Um, a lot of great praise coming in for what you're sharing with people, Greg. Um, I got to pay you more. <laughs> My hands out. <laughs> um, some more questions. We got a lot of good ones here. Um but yeah, on that same topic of Mustafer, Lucas Patrick says, Tony the Pod Boss, Lucas Patrick said the guys that play really fast are usually the ones that play. Uh, Mustafer will flourish in the system and look well. Zone versus true pass sets fit him. You agree? Yeah, I, I agree with that. But again, I, I think what they're trying to find out now, is he a viable? Because really, if he can't play guard, Mm-hmm. Then there is a question of whether he makes the team. Mm-hmm. Okay, and 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 what and what they're going to do. Generally speaking, you keep nine offensive linemen on the fifty-three man roster. So, and ver, with all those backups, versatility is very, very important. That doesn't mean that's going to be the position they're going to lock into down the road mm-hmm. once they become starters. But as backups they got to be able to play more in one position. Mm. Um, all right, back to some more questions here. Uh, we've got uh, – back when we were talking about Cole Komet, Jamal Lewis offered up a really good question. Uh, is there a tight end in the league that fans could say that guy and Cole Komet are the same guy? Komet should put up his stats. So is there a comp for a Cole Komet that you can think of off the top of your head? I know – these, these types of questions are always uh, difficult and needs a little thought, but uh, any, anything come to mind? I'll tell you the guy who reminds me of, mm-hmm. and, and this goes way back, and, and he was a great tight end, is Mark Bavaro we had in New York. We drafted him in the, oh, in wow. the fourth round when I was in New York. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they have the same type of game. Mm-hmm. And, and back then, you didn't really play with two tight ends unless they were both wise, and you went to a – you know, a, a, a two tight end look and, and they were lined up in tight. You didn't have that move mm-hmm. tight end like you have now. So he's, you know, I'd have to look at the other rosters in the mm-hmm. league to come up with a name. 
right off the bat, but I know right now I can say he's on the, the upper echelon of pure whys. And, and, and why is that? It's really simple answer. Nobody in college uses one anymore. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're, they're all split out wide mm. and they're big wide receivers and they create mismatches and they can't block worth a shit. Mm -hmm. And then they get into our game and they have to learn how to block. And Notre, he came from Notre Dame. Notre Dame does a good job getting that type of guy. They're going to have a guy next year who's going to be a first round pick. That's another guy like Komet. He might be a step faster. Mm -hmm. But he, he's not more. I mean, he's not going to be a guy that's going to run the four fives. He might run four six five, four six four, mm -hmm. and uh, and you know he's more like Gronk than Gronk is Gronk. This guy at, at Notre Dame now, but that that's what Notre Dame looks for because they they want to have a good running game. But there's not a lot of schools that do that. Alabama mm -hmm. will go out and get some guys that can block. And play it, but most schools are like you know, like the kid who came from Florida and went fourth overall pick in the draft a year ago. That guy's a big wide receiver, right? He was, you know, he's a four 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 three eight guy who, who was you know six four six five two hundred fifty pounds. He's a big wide out, is what he was. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to put him in the slot at you know, like all the the uh, move tight ends are, and he's going to be a mismatch. Yeah. It's fascinating, and and maybe in a future show, I'll get uh, I'll put together a list of all the white white tight ends uh, in the NFL and have you kind of make comparisons. Might be kind of a fun exercise uh, to do. And uh, Jordan just brought up a name uh, that I thought of when, when uh, comps uh, wise was Kyle. Yeah, Rudolph. he's a better athlete than Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, yeah, um, I would say that right now. And Jordan, that that is a good one. Kyle's bigger. As far as he's taller, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but Komet's a better athlete. He's faster. You look at their combine numbers, and I've done have looked at their combine numbers. Um, Komets are better across the board, but yeah, that 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 is a a, a pretty good description. Now Rudolph's not playing anymore. You know, he went to New York last year and. Uh, right now he's out on the street. And, and part of the reason is, is, you know, somebody will sign him, but they probably won't sign him until training camp, mm -hmm. you know, because they're going to find out they, they need somebody who can block. And he, he might be the best at the, at, at the position right now as being a, a blocking Y. Excellent. Okay. Um, yeah, interesting question from Winston Robbins. He says, Greg, uh, who are your top three general managers, Ballard and Brandon Bean, have to be uh, two on your top three list? Uh, can you offer up uh, maybe even if it's not the three, but just, just some of the general managers in the league that you respect? I, I think Howie Roseman does a great job. Mm -hmm. During the season, the fans in Philly hate him, but, hell, the fans in Philly hate everybody during the season. Mm -hmm. So – uh, you you look at some of the things he did now. He just signed this morning that tight end uh, Bradford that was uh, you know the Giants had to let go as a cap casualty. Gave him a one year ten million dollar contract. He fills needs for his team as good as anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, and I I don't know if how he's you know I worked uh, for Howie for one year as a consultant. I don't know if he's the the greatest evaluator, but understanding what needs to be done mm -hmm. 
and and have you know know what know what the calf's all about and he's very very good mm. but the one thing i i don't like he likes to churn that scouting department and he totally turned it around this year and i don't know why he does it I, you know mm. and he's done it a few times mm-hmm. since he's been I mean, they got rid of just about everybody in that scouting department and brought in all new faces do you think that might be just because it's it's sort of like, uh, hey, we need some fresh ideas here. We need a new way of looking at things, uh, and that's you know, I mean, that's the management philosophy I've seen uh, in my career. Uh, perhaps he's uh, using that same approach. Well, he he lost his two main lieutenants, okay. and came here. That's right. And then the other guy went to, and I don't remember his name, went to uh, the Giants as the assistant GM. So he lost those two guys. And, and often he lets those guys have some of their own people, Mm -hmm. you know? And so now that they're gone, he may let whoever they're bringing in, they've named some people in the last few days and, and let them bring in some of their own people. I just, you know, I just think if you got a good guy in your department, you keep you know, I mean, why why should he lose his job because somebody left somebody else left the building? Yeah, indeed. Um, here's a cool question: um, in your in your career as director of scouting for the Chicago Bears, I'm guesstimating that you probably chose around a hundred players via the draft, and were responsible for more undrafted free agents. Jordan asks, what's the proudest pick of your career? And it doesn't even have to be with the Bears. Just uh, any player that you were evaluated and said, we have to have this one. Uh, uh, I got a feeling you're going to surprise me with this response. Well, the one that jumps out, well, one was Bavaro, and that was really my first draft with the the Giants. Um, and I was part of it was I was just in love with Notre Dame players mm-hmm. and being it was my first year, I probably oversold them, but I, I did the right thing in the, in, um, in the long run, but actually another Notre Dame player that we took in 86 and he's probably one player that I really jumped on the table for when other people in the room, and this is, you know, you're making your decisions before the draft. This goes back to in February mm-hmm. when we're talking about the guy. And nobody had a good grade on this guy. His name is Eric Dorsey. We took him in the first round of the 86 draft. He played about nine, ten years in the league. You're never a pro bowler, mm-hmm. but a very, very solid player on, on those good giant defenses that went to three Super Bowls when he was there. And Eric was a 6'5", 265-pound guy when he was at Notre Dame. And he was playing at on the nose. And you go, what the hell is he playing on the nose for? Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have a body like a nose. You know, you just, you know, you look at what a guy looks like who's supposed to be on the nose. And right. this guy was defensive end or a five technique all day long. Mm. And so he was not being used. And that's when Jerry Faust was the head coach at Notre Dame. He just wasn't being used correctly at Notre Dame. And so I, I remember during the meetings, yeah, some guys are burying them. I just kept saying, 
Guys, he's better than that. And I was a young scout there then. So, you know, some of the vets were saying, shut the fuck up, you know, and, and, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to because he's better. And, and he got, he was misused. And if you put this guy outside where he belongs, he's going to be a damn good player. Mm. And it turns out, you know, once the coaches started getting involved, stuff, we ended up taking the guy in the first round. How about but it? if I hadn't done that early on, that mm-hmm. you know, never would have happened. He no. never would have been a giant. Mm. When you were with the Giants, uh, Bill Belichick was there. Uh, and do you have any Belichick stories or a story? Scout were the damn. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the honest truth. No, he's great now. Yeah. <laughs> We, we we used to laugh at him. Really? <laughs> He's a great coach. Put it this way. He said Lawrence play, Taylor couldn't play. Oh, no. Get out. <laughs> Coming out of college, yeah. <laughs> what a story. That is wild. <laughs> and I remember we're down, we're down at the Senior Bowl, and – there was a defensive end, he might have been from Memphis, that was just tearing up the senior bowl. Mm-hmm. Big, tall, lean guy, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, real long, not real heavy. And really wasn't a fit for, for what we did unless you put him at outside linebacker. And, and we had two of the best back then, Carl Banks and Lawrence Taylor. Uh-huh. But – this guy was tearing it up. And, and, and so we had, you know, the coaching staff and the scouts are there. So we had a meeting after about the third day of practice. And back then they started practice on Monday, not Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And he had two a days. Mm-hmm. So the, Monday was, was one practice Tuesday and Wednesday were two days, Thursday and Friday was one practice each. So I think this is it at Wednesday night. We're meeting as a group and, and Belichick is just killing this guy. And and Parcells just looks at him and goes, are we watching the same player? <laughs> oh, that is great. Yeah, and Bill Belichick now uh, will uh, answer any question uh, that's about the greatest player, greatest pass rusher, greatest defensive player. He'll, he will always uh, bring up uh, LT first and foremost. Uh, well, so- he was. I mean, the, the, there's no – Question about it now. Off the field, that, now there's a guy whose football character was off the charts, but personal character didn't even get to the chart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, worse than worse. But uh, he needed football. He needed football to survive. He needed to com- to compete to survive. Interesting. Um, Tony says uh, Eberflus claims to be a disciple of Saban. Do you see any Saban? traits in Matt Eberflus, Chicago Bears head coach? I've been around Saban. I haven't been around Flus to really answer that question. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen Saban coach at at, uh, Toledo, at Mm -hmm. Michigan State, at LSU, and at um, Alabama. You know, watch him in practices. Mm -hmm. And one thing that, that Saban does, you know, there's a lot of head coaches that you know, like stand in the middle and they look at the offense, they look at the defense, they, they let their coaches coach and, and they don't say a lot mm-hmm. during the course of a practice. Saban's with the defense the whole time because that, that's what his strength is. And he coaches the hell out of them mm. and all the time. And that, like I say, Toledo, Michigan State, 
LSU and Alabama. He gets as involved as any of his assistants. Mm -hmm. And he's a great coach. Yeah. Of this Bears uh, assistant coaching staff, um, you know, there are the teachers, uh, Poles and Eberflus, and the coordinators have been effusive in their praise of how good they are as teachers, uh, the importance of their roles. Have you heard anything about any particular assistant coach that you think, here's a guy to keep an eye on, here's a guy that really knows what he's talking about, here's a guy who could be a potential head coach in this league? Have you heard any stories uh, about that? Uh, not yet. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think that anybody has had a, a, enough really time to see any of these guys in action. Right. Yeah. We have, you know, had a, you know, the mini, the, the first mini camp was what, probably an hour and a half practice. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of that was basic install. And, and now you've had a couple of days of OTAs. You're going to start to see some stuff when you get to training camp mm-hmm. and, and then, you know, you'll get a, a, a better feel, mm-hmm. you know, the, the wide receiver coach, I have always heard really good things about him mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, as being an excellent teacher and, and an excellent guy who develops his players. And, you know, with this group of, of really no names who I think are better than, than the average fan mm-hmm. uh, does, you know, I, I, you know, this could earn them a coordinators. If these guys all of a sudden break out this year, because, you know, nobody in the media, knows some of these names, you know, that could end up getting this guy a coordinator job down the road. And I'm not saying next year, but within the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to look uh, for the wide receiver coach's name. And I just Tyke Tolbert. There he is. Okay, excellent. We'll be keeping an eye on him. Uh, there it is, Tyke Tolbert. You know, it, 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 I, I wish they, these guys were available more often uh, in, through the media, but I also understand why it's important to kind of consolidate who's talking to the media. You don't want a lot of different messages. You don't want all that turmoil of trying to, you know, uh, correct something that was inadvertently said or, or, or what have you. But, uh, you know, they should and maybe they have. Uh, the website should at least have some a interview, an approved interview, so that we fans can get to know these guys uh, because they're a big part of the team. These teachers, well, you know, I think although that that's something that's that's not just here that goes on across yes. the league. Very and true. I remember when I first came to Chicago, and we were only up in Pleasantville one year when I was here, so I don't remember Pleasantville at all, mm-hmm. uh, but. <laughs> at least, you know, down in Bourbonnais. Yeah. And, you know, the morning practice would be over and everybody would be walking over to lunch and the media would be hanging, you know, in that courtyard there mm-hmm. uh, by where the cafeteria is and they'd be waiting for coaches and players. And they had free reign to grab anybody and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's not the case anymore. Nope. Yep. Much more guarded. Uh, interesting question from Adeptus here is asked, how do teams scout for coaching assistance? You know, that, that's a good question. And I, I can go back to when I was here, and one of our scouts' jobs was to scout coaches mm-hmm. because you always wanted to have a short list. 
of, of the coaches. Jerry, Jerry did anyway. And, 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 you know, I was here with Jerry and so all the area scouts, one of their jobs was not necessarily write a report, but keep track of who were the assistant coaches that, that really jumped out and were, you know, good teachers worked well with their players, more so the teaching ability mm -hmm. that coach the position. And, and it goes back and, and, this came from Jerry. Um, Jerry was making a school when he was at Tampa Bay, he was making a school call at the university of California and Marinelli was the line coach. Mm -hmm. And he was like, wow, this guy's good. <laughs> you know? And so he went back to watch him again and he was the same way again. The next year, the Colts hired him only because of that. How about that? How about that? And I know that Matt Eberflus uh, said that uh, he had a uh, a relationship with. Oops, we lost uh, Greg. All of a sudden, his internet just gave out. Uh, hopefully, he'll come back in. Uh, but I know Matt Eberflus said that um, he had talked with Lucas Patrick over the years and picked his brain, asked him questions, and he immediately uh, started to realize that. This guy has a brilliant uh, uh, offensive mind. This is a guy who can really, really help uh, me if I ever become a head coach. Greg is back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, it was like when dead. Yeah. Um, where, where was it? Yeah, but if, if you can have your scouts give you a, a, a short list of top guys mm -hmm. in their area because where do pro coaches come from they come from the college ranks mm -hmm. originally and so um if you can find good ones and and you let people know about it i mean D daryl drake we brought in and may he rest in peace daryl never coached in the pros until we brought him here he was at the university of texas mm -hmm. and and been a career uh college coach by the way, one of the best wide receiver coaches I've ever been around, Daryl Drake. Really? Yep. Is there is there a coach that made an impact on you? Or let, let me put it this way: Is there a, a football administrator, you know, that made such an impact on you that you say, you know, perhaps I would not have been as good at my job if it wasn't for this person? Uh, anyone that ins inspire you like that? Uh, I'm gonna say. Two people as far as me, and one is George Young, who is the mm -hmm. GM for the Giants. And, and, you know, the game changed a lot when George was the GM. And when we got into free agency, George couldn't function as well in, in that type of world. You know, it, it was he was just – it was so far away from what his thought process was. Mm -hmm. and, and then Jerry. Jerry was really a deep thinker when it came to, you know, some, some innovation and stuff we did with, with, and, you know, a lot of the stuff we did here, we never did in New York. I mean, I, we have the smallest scouting department in the league here when I was uh, with the bears. Right. Yet I'll put it up against anybody. We drafted 12 pro bowlers. Mm. A lot of those guys are in, in high decision maker levels right now across the league you know we had a superb staff mm -hmm. and but how did they become that way because of 
what we asked them to do, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it was, and a lot of it was, was really instilling on them. You got to get the background mm-hmm. and you got to know everything about it. You know, we told them there's, there's no secrets. We got to know everything mm. so that when he comes in the door and there's a negative that the press is going to dig up, we're already going to be ahead of it. Mm. It, it, what do you think is is the biggest misconception that Bears fans who have been detractors of Jerry Angelo uh, are? You know, uh, a lot of people respect uh, Jerry Angelo, but there are some, and I, I'm reading a couple comments in the chat that are saying, oh, no, not Jerry Angelo. But what do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about Jerry, Jerry Angelo? Who won more here besides Jim Finks than Jerry Angelo? Um, I can't think of anyone. There you go. George Hallis, maybe. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Where's George? <laughs> Where's George? <laughs> um, won a lot of games here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got a bunch of balls here that say division champ and conference champ and everything else. So yeah, somebody, uh, somebody wanted to see, uh, STC said, Greg, show us that championship football on the shelf. Uh, the next show, have that ball handy. Uh, there's a, there's a bunch of them. I got, there's one, two, three, four, four of those. Well, send me a picture of that. We'll show it on the next show. Uh, okay. that would be cool. Um, but yeah, you know, he, he was a winner. And, uh, I think a lot of times people overlook the fact, you know, that people measure things kind of in a vacuum sometimes, uh, and I'm not being critical of anyone, uh, in the chat room here, but I do think that overall, we, uh, 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 uh in general tend to evaluate, th- evaluate things on, uh, in a vacuum and, and don't compare it with what else is going on in the league. And well, I, I'm, I'm going to say this, Aldo. First, and now that I've been here 21 years Mm -hmm. and I have a perception of what the media is in Chicago, especially talk radio, they're so damn negative. Yeah. You know, you're, and and there's a few that are more negative than the others. You're not allowed to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, they expect perfection which is just crazy because you're not going to have perfection all the time, but they expect perfection 100% of the time. And they go overboard to bury you mm-hmm. when you don't. Now, did Jerry have some weak points? Yeah. And, and one of Jerry's weak points wasn't, it wasn't real strong in front of the media. Mm. You know, yeah. like if we did a press conference or something like that, you know, he, he, and so, and, and we used to joke about how Jerry talks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we did amongst ourselves. And I had some great, great stories. But um, that's for another time. We could do a whole show on those stories. Oh, cool. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I, 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 I'll tell one now. It, it, it was, we we're down at Bourbonnais. Uh-huh. And, you know, in fact, we're talking about you know, making sure that you got good coaches. And, and this was after we've all had a few pops one night, mm-hmm. you know, so, and Jerry's going, well, I'd rather have a great coach and a bad player. Uh, no, I'd rather have a great player and a back. And he, he just kept getting confused because he was half south. 
And so we were laughing. And then Rex Hogan, who's now the assistant GM of the Jets, uh-huh. <laughs> who is as good of an impersonator as Rich Little ever was. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just laughed thinking about it. <laughs> and, you know, we, we were back, you know, where all those, those um, smaller dorms were back in the corner at Bourbon A. Yeah. That, that's where the coaches were and the staff were. The players were in those two high-rise dorms. Uh-huh. And these things were only like, they were like a car- apartment complexes. There were like three floors. Mm-hmm. And that's where we were. So, and we had one room that Robin Wilkie was retiring. She might have already retired, but sometime this month she's retiring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where her office was and we had a refrigerator there and we had a lot of beer in there and goodies and everything else. And so Rex Hogan is in, and because these were set up like an apartment, you know, he's back in that kitchen area where the, where the um, refrigerator is and stuff is. And, and he's doing an imitation of Jerry mm-hmm. and he doesn't know because he can't see around the corner that Jerry's standing right there at the door. Oh <laughs> <laughs> <I don't> no. <know. laughs> and this goes on for about Rex is doing his impersonation <laughs> for about three minutes. And we're laughing our asses off because we all know Jerry's right there. And Rex doesn't have a clue. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> so then Rex pops out and he sees Jerry. And Jerry goes, well, Rex, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. Uh, as a uh, final uh, comment, uh, Jordan says, what a life you've led. Uh, it, it must, uh, you can only imagine what it must be like to work for the Chicago Bears. So I'll ask you that, this final question. What did it mean to you to work with this historic franchise? I mean, you work with the, another historic franchise, the New York Giants. Uh, I know how much you love uh, the Buffalo area that where you were born, and so you have a kinship with the Buffalo Bills. But for your relationship. By the way, prayer, prayers up to the Buffalo area right now. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Well said. Um, and that, that Tops Market yeah. was a third of a mile away from where I went to college. Oh, no. I oh. mean, I've been in there a gazillion times. That, that must really, really hurt. We And we had uh, somebody here on the, on the bar room, Ken Fang, who's the co-host of the AA team. His aunt and uh, uncle were shot in that California shooting uh, this past weekend. Uh, thankfully, they're fine. Uh, but yeah. This at the church? Thing, the one at the church? The one, the one at the church, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this thing, it, it's become so pro, uh, uh, prolific, the amount of shootings that it's starting to affect us people that we know, places that we've been, and so forth. It's just, uh, they say that everybody knows somebody who has or has had cancer. You know, now you can almost say the same thing with these mass shootings. But Oh, yeah, no, just, just awful. And, and you know, my, my daughter was with her family down at Disney. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I got a text from her in the middle of the afternoon. She goes, did you see what happened? And I said, yeah. And and I mean, she was so upset. Mm -hmm. And that's not far from where she lives. Mm -hmm. You know, probably 15 minutes. I mean, Buffalo's not a big city. It's not like, you know, Chicago. The metropolitan area is just over a million people. So you can get anywhere in 
10 or 15 minutes. So when I say it's about 15 minutes from where my daughter lives, it's on an entirely different part of town. She lives on the south side. These are on the east side, but um, still, it doesn't take long to get from point A to point B in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Uh, but that uh, final question, you know, what does it mean to you personally that you uh, have had this uh, great relationship with the Chicago Bears? Um, it's it's very enjoyable. I mean, I like I like the people. I like the McCaskies a lot. I, I you love the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've worked two places for a long time: the the New York Giants and here, and and I have equal amount of affection for both, but probably more so the bears now because it's, it's more recent. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been away from the giants now for, for 21 years. And, you know, most of the people that were there when I was working, except for the Maris are gone now. So, mm-hmm. um, but there's still a lot of people in Hallis Hall that I, I know well. Well, uh, we are very lucky uh, to that you have graced us uh, with your expertise as a member of the Chicago Bears organization, and we're especially lucky here at the Barroom Network that you uh, do this show with us. Everyone in the chat room has been extremely complimentary. About you know, we didn't touch on one thing. You wanted to ask me, because I wrote it down before, about those new receivers. Oh, yeah. Um, Tajay Sharp and... Um, Who's the other guy? Uh, help me out. Pettis. Pettis. Dante Pettis. Yes. Who, who, let's start there because you you had him high, highly graded uh, coming out of college. I had him as the fourth-rated receiver in that draft. I had him as a second-rounder. That's where he went. He might have been fourth or fifth off the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'd have to go back and look at that draft. Um, I don't know why he is not paid. He had a pretty good rookie season. Mm-hmm. Was not a starter, but was a contributor, and and played within the rotation. And then everything went downhill. And I I'm trying to find out. I haven't found out yet. Mm-hmm. He um, talent wise, he might be the most talented guy, pure talent mm-hmm. in this in the wide receiver room. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've I've heard stories that maybe foot, you know, maybe he's like Michael Haynes and football's not important to him. But mm-hmm. you know, he wants to make a living and maybe it's gonna be become important. Mm-hmm. If they hit with this guy, that's huge because his talent is immense is, is immense. He's you know, size is average, six just under six one, 190 pounds, maybe 192. Uh, he could run like a deer. Uh, he was a very, very good return guy in college on top of being a, an excellent receiver and after the catch guy, mm-hmm. but the guy I liked, and we, we you know, we were doing free agent wide receivers a while ago. And I brought up his name is Ty J sharp. Yeah. Sharp has started a lot of games in this league. You know, he was like a fifth round pick. He's six, two with real long arms. So he, he plays like he's a six, four guy. Now, he's he's not a burner. He's a you know four five five four five six guy when he was coming out, but he, he plays fast. He knows how to get open. He's got a very large receiving radius. Um, you know, and he was a guy I was thinking. You know, that's a guy they they you know when you look at at who they were signing at the beginning of free agency, I said this guy fits the mold. And and in this 
offense, he's an X. So, and and probably production wise, when you look at his production, uh, you know, over the course of his career, he might have the most production of of all these guys. Wow. But that that's a, that's a good signing. Pettis is a a throw a dart at the wall and hope it sticks because he has failed. He failed in San Francisco, failed with the Jets. He was out on the street. Nobody signed him until the other day. Uh, but the talent is huge. So, you know, let's just see what happened with these guys. Put it this way. They're a lot better than the guys. You know, they cut two rookies from small schools. Yeah. They're a lot better than those guys. And and <laughs> yes. both of them have started games in the league. Both of them have had production in the league. And the, the one talent, Pettis' talent, like, you know, I know I'm repeating myself, but he's got as much talent as anybody here. It's just why he hasn't done it, who knows? Mm. You know, and, and if he doesn't love football, then he's going to fail here too. Yeah. Because that you, you can't play this game if you don't love it. And, uh, but, you know, Sharp, I think Sharp will help him. Well, that has uh, apparently been one of the uh, requisites for the Chicago Bears this offseason is signing people who love the game of football. And so hopefully those two veteran wide receivers are living up to uh, that criteria. And it's going to be a fascinating camp. Uh, uh, this summer, once the, these guys are battling in pads and battling for jobs, because there's a, there's going to be a lot of close races, and maybe that's what we should do on our next show. Uh, whenever you want to do it, Greg, let's, let's start talking about some of the interesting camp battles. I'll put together a graphic of all the position levels, and then we can talk about here's here's a couple of guys that are vying for this spot, and and you can uh, comment on that. That might be a really fun uh, show for us to do next time. You sure. remember that? Yeah. All right. Uh, let me uh, uh, sign off by letting people know that this is, of course, the first of four shows today at 2 p.m. It's Hockey Talk, Bar Down Hockey Talk. At uh, 7 p.m. is the uh, Mac and Reed show. The guys are going to talk about uh, projections. Are we all sick of projections? People making projections, one loss uh, predictions, you know, before the guys have even put on pads. I, I'm going to say yes. We'll see what. Uh, yeah, I got to say the, the, the national media has got the Bears coming in last. Yes, they do. Uh, probably got the first pick in, in next year's draft. Mm -hmm. uh, personally, I think they're going to be a lot better than that. I just want those jerks to be held accountable when this team is better than they were predicting. Now, do I think they're going to be a, you know, a, a 10 and 17? No, but they're not going to be the worst team in the league. They might not even be in the bottom third of the league. Mm -hmm. uh, the, I, I am with you on that. I, and I just, I don't understand this whole thing about giving grades on draft and making projections, win-loss records, you know, on the national media. For us fans and fanalists, it's fun to do. Uh, but I would think that, you know, uh, guys like – I saw Dan Orlovsky doing a segment on NFL Live yesterday. He's going through the uh, entire team schedule and saying uh, it's a win here, it's a loss here, it's a win here. And I go, don't you have something better to, to present to you know, Sometimes I think the producers have these people do that. Oh, yes, it's true. It's true. You know, and, and they get put in position because Dan played the game. Yeah. And he knows how things can change from year to year. Mm -hmm. And some of it 
is is luck and and you keep guys healthy and, and you keep key guys healthy and and you don't get uh injuries tearing up your lineup uh some of it you know you get who thought the bears were going to go to the playoffs and, and win their division when when Nagy came in here his first year mm-hmm. besides nobody mm-hmm. in fact a lot of the things that the media was saying then they're saying now that means going into that 2018 season. Nobody thought that they were going to be worth a damn. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Um, I just, you know, and you're absolutely right. That's what producers are paid for. Come up with uh, something cute for Dan to do. Uh, I think what uh, guys like Dan Orlovsky uh, should do, who is, he's very good at breaking down tape. That's what he should be doing. And I, I hate it that they spend so much time on these shows talking about the big marquee names and they don't dig into the trenches to talk about, you know, the right guard of the Tennessee Titans or the uh, who's going to play the left tackle for the Chicago Bears. Things, topics like that, that I think are people who watch those shows really would love for them to cover. Well, you know why? Because not enough people know even know who those people are outside of the home market. Yeah. So it doesn't, and and you got to deal with the national audience there. But I think draft grades are, you know, that's a waste. It's a waste of time having to write it up. They're meaningless. Mm -hmm. Now, if you held people accountable to those. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, You go back and say, oh, gee, I thought we had a D when it turned out to be an A. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, but they never are. And so it never ends. And it's, it's, it's you know, I, I hated, I had to write up, I had to write up, I, I never wrote up draft grades when I was working for National Football Post. Right. What I did was wrote up how each person fits into within the scheme. Yeah, that's you know, and, and this guy's going to challenge this guy. Yeah. And yada, yada, yada. But I was, you know, having done it, you know, I, I, I know how it works and I know how there's not a team in the league that doesn't think they had a good draft a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. They all think they had a good draft. So it's coaching it up and how, you know, how do they come in and end up playing? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, five years later to say, oh, you passed up so-and-so for so-and-so. Well, hey, Patrick Mahomes is a perfect example. If everybody thought Patrick Mahomes was going to be as good as Patrick Mahomes turned out, he would have gone first in the draft, mm-hmm. not Miles Garrett to Cleveland. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay, he didn't go first. He went 10th or 11th or whatever it was. Tenth. I think it was 10th, yeah. <clears throat> You're absolutely right. Um it's uh, well. We'll we'll uh, we've got a lot to talk about during the off season. It's going to be fun. Uh, we'll we'll be here. I, I'm not sure if it's going to be weekly. I doubt it's. We're going to do a weekly show, but uh, the ones that we do are can't miss uh, programming. And then just to finish off the programming for tonight at 9 p.m. It is science fiction. The guys are going to be talking about uh, uh, Doctor Strange, of course, uh, the the hit uh, Marvel movie that's out. But they're also going to talk about some new upcoming movies and TV shows of the science fiction variety that are going to hit theaters or will be streaming soon. So that's our uh, show for today. Greg, outstanding as always. I will be in contact with you very soon uh, and uh, we'll all see you all very soon. Bye-bye. See ya. Thanks. 